0: Everybody wants to
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Life of Brian dot dot dot. Manix That is. I'm the dot dot dot, and this is the Mannix that is part of it. Hello, Brian.
2: Hello, Kev, and I tell you what. It's, it's only 28 degrees here today. It's so freaking cold I've had to put my Speedos on and it's not going to get to 29 until 1 o'clock. I'm, I'm spewing.
1: Yeah. Must be tough life there in the penthouse up on the Gold Coast. Yes, it is. It is indeed. <laughs> hey, I've, I've <laughs> no, there's it. no getting back from that. You're just being a show-off, smart ass, which is what you do very <laughs> well. And I'm not going to let. I'm, not, I'm just going to let you hang there. Yeah, you know, I'm just going to let you lie there in your own muck for five seconds. because no, you no, deserve it. No, I've got something important to discuss. <laughs> oh, yeah, have hey. you? Well, I'm not interested now because you just burnt <laughs> me. <laughs> you can get stuffed.
2: <laughs> oh, no, well, well, with a bit of luck, I will. Uh. But, um, no, no, quite seriously. Oh. I'm back I'm back on the climate change again.
1: Oh, right? No, here we go.
2: No, well look, I I was watching um this TV show, right? And they were talking about, you know, how everybody's worried about the um the ocean rising. Yep. And you know, you know, and it's you know, it's gonna swap, you know, Fiji and all these places and that. Well, the actual fact of the matter is, from my, as I understand and from my information I've got is that the ocean goes up, over the last 100 years, the ocean goes up 0.75 of a millimetre every year. So that means in a 100 years, the ocean gets two and a half inches bigger. Not really anything to worry about. But anyway, forget about whether it's something to worry about or not. That's not the point. Hmm. It goes up 0.75 of a millimetre every year. And I've been thinking about this, and I reckon, yeah, I have. I reckon it goes up 0.75 of a millimetre because everybody around the world, when they go in the ocean, they take a piss. Now, if you think about it, all the people in California, all the people in Australia, all the people in every island on the world, if they all take a piss, I'm surprised the ocean doesn't go up more than 0.75 of a millimetre. Ah, so So, you're
1: suggesting that it actually it's uh, an introduced uh, body of water, not the actual body of water that we're talking about as in the Pacific, the Atlantic, the Indian whatever.
2: well, you know, you, they love to show the shots of the ice falling off one side of Antarctica or whatever, yeah, yeah. but they never show you the two the two hundred acres of new ice that's formed on the other side. So I'm telling, you, I'm saying that every problem we've got with the ocean could be so, solved if people just stop pissing in it.
1: That's, well, I, that's, I, the, that's the problem. I think that's a wonderful uh, adage to have for the uh, the modern generation heading into you know, the the next part of 2023, uh, everybody, please stop taking the piss and we'll all be better off.
2: That's exactly right, Kids. You've grasped this perfectly. (laughs) So there we go and here we are.
1: I've seen it from a marketing point of view. I can see the T-shirts now, everything. Yeah, no, it's it's crystallising in my mind as we speak, Brian.
2: I think you should have, you know, signs on the beach, please don't piss in the water. Have special flags, flags. I don't know. But it's something that's got to be looked at. Okay. Sorry, Kev, go and
1: do something responsible. <laughs> something responsible is to go and see our very good friends at Mercotts because they are the people oh. who will make you a better driver, make the person that you give the gift voucher to a better driver. And uh, the ripple effect of that is uh, is better than 0.75 of a millimetre in terms of what it will do to the uh, ability for us all to enjoy being on the road. So give them a call on...
2: 1300 555 576. Thanks, mate. That Marcus. number again, one 555 576. Do yourself a favour, go and get yourself some, a little, you know, a little freshen up course, because you're shit. Correct. No, you're not shit. No, no, we, <laughs> when you're not shit, but you could be better. Exactly.
1: Game. Yes. It's all yeah, about It's
2: him. not that you, you're shit. You just, you could be better. We all need a little, you know, a little bit
1: of a uh, top up. Exactly. Merkots.edu.au is the website where you can check it all out. Uh, on this program, coming up later, Sarah McLeod, the lead singer of Super Jesus. Uh, good band, good singer, lovely lady. Uh, looking forward to having a chat to her.
2: Yeah, she was, she's lovely. Um, I, I, I hadn't really spoken to her before, but... Um She's what a lovely girl and, and know, a very, most, very talented. A
1: most interesting start to her musical career uh, uh, in a, a bizarre set of circumstances that we'll talk to about.
2: Well, one of the most unlikely starts to a musical career that you could imagine. But, I would have uh, thought so, mate- yes. It makes for interesting listening.
1: And a man who's had an um, unbelievable music career. We talked to him on the last show. We had a little uh, sort of brief little uh, window with Phil Manning on the last show to talk about Chain and their 55th anniversary. But uh, going to talk to Phil about uh, an album he put together uh, in, his, uh, in his house, in his shed called Out of My Shed, uh, which he put uh, together during the, the lockdown and which is, is now out and about and available on his website. And also talked to him about a, a terrific uh, live album from 1976, called uh, the Desk Tape Series, which uh, aids uh, a whole lot of people who work behind the scenes in the, in the rock and roll industry, uh, the sales from that. so And we're also going to talk to him about his painting because he's a fabulous painter as well.
2: Well, he is. He did my lounge room and he got it all done in half a day.
1: It was terrific. <laughs> oh, good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not exactly that kind of painting, uh, even though you do have some interesting things up in your lounge room, but that's, that's a whole other podcast, not this one. Let's get to Phil Manning. Uh, he's our first guest here on Life of Brian, dot, 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 Manix, that is. All right. Well, Phil, tell us about the new album.
3: While we were all locked down... I uh, set myself a couple of projects. One of them was to build myself a short-scale telecaster guitar, (laughs) which I did out of bits of timber from around the house. (laughs) The other one was to record a new album. And because of the lockdown, you know, I couldn't go into a studio with a bass player and a drummer and all that. So I basically did it here in my little home studio and did everything myself. So it was quite a... Quite an effort, but it was great fun, and uh, I'm quite happy. The and came out pretty well at the end of the day.
1: There is no programming or looping on this recording. It says on the uh, on the CD. No
3: programming or looping. No, everything was actually played. Oh, I mean, in fairness, some of the tracks I used to click track to, to keep myself in reference, but no, no. I, as it is, uh, I'm pretty. I'm a bit of a dinosaur when it comes to technology, so programming stuff would have been a nightmare for me. <laughs> how long did it take you to
2: get all the drum parts down?
3: Can you could you drum before oh, this or that took forever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that that was the hardest part of all because I'm not a drummer. And I, I know how drums should sound and I've worked with some of the best drummers around for years. Um but yeah, that that took a lot of a lot of effort and uh, a lot of practice and going over and over and over. <laughs> Things to 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 get them right, you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah. But I don't think I'd like to do that again. Actually, I think next time I definitely want a real drummer.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: you
1: you mentioned yeah. there when when uh, when when you ask guitar players in this country about who are the great guitar players in this country, your name always comes up. So when when people ask you, have you been asked about who who are the great players in your opinion?
3: Uh, well, I, I was a typical '60s child, you know. I, I grew up first hearing the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and then the Yardbirds, and, um, Brian Paul and the Tremolos and, wow. you know, on it goes, the Hollies, all that stuff, that British beat boom that took over. And I went off to art school in Hobart, uh, but then I got a, a really lucky break. I I got to, to meet Tony Worsley who was looking for a guitar player. He brought me across to Melbourne and, and from then on in I started playing and I, I was only 18, but I, I started being a professional musician. During that first period of time I was here, uh, I, I'd already heard of Clapton, I'd already heard of Jeff Beck, and that, but along came the Beano comic, the famous John Mayer and the Blues Breakers Beano album with Eric Clapton, and out came Hey Joe by Jimi Hendrix, and that really changed, you know, everything for guitar players. So right from the kickoff, you know, I initially loved George Harrison and and Keith Richards uh, and then Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck and and Jimi Hendrix. Uh, And then from that, that led on to learning a bit about blues music and discovering Buddy Guy and Otis Rush. And to this day, Buddy Guy is probably still my favourite electric guitar player. I, I always loved... Uh, Buddy's sort of ability to to go off the wall and be totally crazy. You know, it's really great. Yeah, I, I saw Buddy Guy
2: live. My brother's a big blues fan. And he kept telling me about Buddy Guy, you know, and I went, right. So we went out to look at Buddy Guy. And he was fantastic. He was, you know, not only was he a great guitarist, he was a really good entertainer as well. He was really, really entertaining and he was taking the piss out of He's showing how Eric Clapton plays and how Hendricks plays and then he's showing how Keith Richards plays. He's kind of taken the piss out of Keith Richards because it sort of sounded really, really white, whereas the rest of it all sounded sort of black and groovy. But, yeah, Buddy Guy is terrific. And um, now that you say that, it doesn't surprise me that you're a bit of a fan.
3: I got a chance to meet him backstage uh, many years ago. During the course of just talking in the dressing room, I, I sort of mentioned that I'd done a couple of tours with Muddy, And he said, you toured with Muddy? you sit down here. And I, <laughs> so I sat down next to him and we talked about Chicago blues and all that for about 20, 30 minutes before he went on stage. Uh, it was a, an absolute eye-opener.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's cool, As What about Aussie players? I mean, were, were there any that were, were of influence to you and, and and sort of you sort of talk about these days?
3: Oh, yeah. Like, right from the kickoff in the 60s, uh, I suppose, you know, there were people like Laurie and Bobby and the Rondells. And because I, I lived in Devonport until I was 17, late 70, before, just before I turned 18, I went off to Hobart Art College. But before that, in Devonport, we occasionally had bands come over from the mainland (laughs) and uh, the bands like uh, the Cherokees and uh, Bobby and Laurie and the Rondells, the Flies.
1: Oh, it's a Roddy Burns uh, band, wasn't
3: it? Yeah, that's right. I saw those guys and and, uh, in in particular really impressed with Roger Treble from the Rondells. But, of course, once I got to Melbourne, the day uh, that I got to Melbourne, uh, we went straight out the ballroom at uh, Canterbury Ballroom, which was called The Scene. And uh, so I started rehearsing with, uh, with Tony Worsley and the Blue Jays that day. In the big room rehearsing was the Purple Hearts. And so that was my first uh, experience with Lobby Lloyd. And Lobby, uh, in the Purple Heart days and the, the, the Wild Cherries days, Lobby was a fabulous, fabulous guitar player. He became not only a, a, a big friend; he became a, a mentor to me for a while. So, Lobby was a a big influence at that time. And then, um, uh, of course, there are other greats around, like a guy named Liz Stackpole. Is, Liz is still playing around. He plays sax and guitar. He was just a, a mighty mighty player, you know, there, there were a lot of guitar players around, uh, particularly Melbourne, that in, in those days were, were big influencers. And then, of course, you know, once I was working around and then I'd work in the Bass City Union and then, then later on Chain, uh, we were meeting other guitar players like, for instance, Jim Kelly from The Affair in Sydney, great player, and he's gone on to more jazz things. And then, of course, uh, Kevin Boric, who was with the Lardy All these guys were really great. And, in, you know, even though we were uh, contemporaries and peers, we all tended to affect each other and we'd learn off each other. And uh, uh, later on, of course, Phil Emanuel was a beauty, uh, did a lot of work with Phil Uh and Phil was the sort of guy that had come and show you something that was impossible to play and then said, say, can you do it? <laughs> <laughs> you <bastard. laughs> but, uh, and so, yeah, um, that influenced a great deal by all that stuff. And, of course, I didn't even mention B.B. King. I mean, B.B. King influenced just about every, everyone that plays guitar uh, and claims to play blues uh, has somehow been influenced by B.B. King. These days, when you listen to music, you can
2: hardly they hardly ever use a guitar on a lot of tracks, but the sixties and seventies, guitar was kind of the main weapon of choice, wasn't it? Like you know, every every song had a guitar solo, and there's lots and lots of guitars. So it was probably a really good time to be sort of starting out, I guess, Phil. Yeah,
3: and uh, you know, guitars were much sexier. You could. You know, romp around the stage very easily with a guitar. A bit harder to do that with a keyboard. <laughs> and and even though keyboards, you know, were used a lot on records and things, generally, it was pretty hard to use keyboards in the say the mid '60s and get a decent sound because the, all the organs and pianos sounded bloody dreadful. And and no one, although we did a bit later, no one wanted to cart round a Hammond organ. At, no. at the time, because they were just so heavy, and you certainly couldn't count around a real piano.
1: Hmm. No, hey, the um, uh, we've got a couple of albums to talk to you about. One obviously is uh, is out of my shed, which is the one we talked about where you did during during lockdown. And the other one, the, the Australian Road Crew series, have released uh, an album of yours from nineteen seventy five, from your touring around Australia, which uh, with the uh, reading about it is a band that didn't have a, a long lifespan. That particular lineup of that Phil Manning band.
3: When I look back, at, uh, back at people often bring up this thing of of, of time. You know, a lot of people don't realise that the chain that had all the hit, that we had, the one we had black, black and blue and judgment and then uh, the toward the blues album, which uh, went gold eventually. Matt Taylor, that what we call the Matt Taylor lineup at that time, which was Barry Sullivan, Barry Harvey, Matt Taylor, and myself. That lineup was only together for eleven months, but it seemed. <laughs> you know, Is that right? It, uh, at the back, yeah, but back in those days, things changed so quickly, and I think the Phil Manning Band from nineteen seventy five, that album, we probably went for about a year and a half, and then I went off and joined John Paul Young and the All Stars for a period of time, before uh, basically going back to joining up with Matt Taylor again. So there, there was just a lot of chopping and changing uh, at the time and, you know, things went in and out of fashion very quickly. The desk tapes that, uh, of, of that filmmaking lineup from 1975 turned out being quite incredible quality because a lot of, a lot of desk tapes, the, the mixes on desk tapes are not necessarily that great yeah. uh, because the, the guy at the desk is fighting. The, the volume coming off stage and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, but these were remarkably good. I was, I was quite astounded when I first heard them.
2: Yeah, you write about the desk tapes because often the, well, the bass and drums are going to be on the desk tape, but sometimes the guitars are so loud coming off stage that you end up with a desk tape that's just sort of bass, drums and vocals and you can barely hear the guitar, yeah. which <laughs> really, really sucks. <laughs> And as a singer, it just leaves you out there. Every little nuance you don't get right is, uh. <laughs> but um. So this this album
3: just came off the cassette, I presume. This is the strangest thing because I don't know what Dave Dave the uh, Dave out, the guy that was our mixer at the time. I reckon he must have had a sub mix. He must have done a sub right. mix for the recording. It was re- recorded actually onto tape. I'm assuming that was a real to reel I don't really remember back then. I'm assuming it was a real to reel uh, but however he did it, he actually got quite a good balance between everything. And I've never been known to be a quiet guitar player, so <laughs> there's no way in the world that I would have been in the mix uh, unless he was doing a separate mix for it.
1: As a, as a non-musician out of the three of us, uh, were those tapes done purely and simply for the band reference to have a listen back to how you were sounding or if you'd got things right and wrong? Or why, what was the the actual reason to have desk tapes?
3: I mean, all, all of the above, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the, it, it was a good reference to have a listen to how the band was performing. And, you know, uh, quite often you, you might go back and listen to a tape after the show and go well that arrangement was, was dreadful let's change that or you know that sort of thing and then uh, a lot of the uh, sound engineers just enjoyed recording it, they liked the idea that something that they recorded might be an album or you know they just like re- you know like being engineers and they liked the music uh, i mean, that that's uh, one of the things about the roadie the whole roadie thing is that uh, a lot of those roadies uh, back in the uh, you know the late '60s and early '70s, they they became practically members of the band, and they were they were fans. They were fans of mu- of the music. They they loved the music. They loved being a part of the scene, uh, the parties, and you know all that stuff. They yeah. they they really loved being a part of it. So you know, I I, I think they re- they recorded it out of the love love of it, really. I think for desk tapes for me,
2: I found that, you know, you get a new song, you know, say you've written a new song and you start singing it and that's fine. But then after about two or three weeks, you slightly start, you know, I'd slightly start changing the melody a bit, thinking, Oh, that's better. But then you listen to the desk tape and you go, hang on, now I've kind of stuffed this up. Where's the let's go back to where I started from? And you go, Oh yeah, that was actually better. So you can stop yourself, you can sort of keep adding stuff to a song. And sometimes you can wreck it by keeping on adding stuff. Sometimes simplicity is good, and I think the desk tapes kind of kept you a little bit honest in that regards. So yeah, I used to enjoy listening to them, and um, or most of them, not all of them, but um,
3: <laughs> they were a way of. Like, no, I, you know, I don't like telling story. I don't like telling stories about people, but uh, the wonderful guitar player Mal stick worked with Matt Taylor for a while and. Matt told me that every night after the gig, Mel would go back to the room and listen to the recording of that night to try and perfect his guitar player parts. You know, to you know, to sort of listen to himself and say, "Well, that didn't work." Now, and that's uh, you know a great asset to have to be able to do that. You know, especially because uh, Mel Mel's always been a, a perfectionist. When it comes to uh, his sound and his playing and all that stuff, you know.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, was was the Linda McCartney thing? Was that a desk tape? Remember that famous tape of her? Oh, yeah, that was a was, desk that, tape. was that the best use of a desk tape ever before this series came out? It's, Which one it's, is that? It's Linda McCartney singing "Hey Jude." Oh, I don't think I don't think I heard that one. Oh, she. Oh. she couldn't be flatter. You could not find a, a flatter singer in the. Oh in yes. The, yeah.
3: Oh. That's one of those dreadful sets of tapes where, where uh, Buddy Rich abuses the trumpet player in the band and kicks him off the bus, and and it's, uh, and then yeah they've got uh, Linda McCartney singing on another planet in another key. <laughs> yes, one of the most entertaining death tapes you'll ever hear.
1: Linda <laughs> Mc- <laughs> I want to ask you about, back to out of my shed for a tick. The painting on the on the cover drawing is that one of yours?
3: Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's a part of, well, it's most of, most of one. Yeah, uh, that was another thing I did when we were locked down. I, as I said earlier, I went to art school for a, for a while. I, my original, well, it wasn't my plan. It was, it was just what sort of fell in place. I, I wanted to do art, so the only way I was going to do that was I got a Commonwealth scholarship to go to art school and become an art teacher I only lasted about six months, and then I got this job with Tony Worsley in the Blue Jays. But on and off ever since, I've painted, kept painting and drawing, and and do you know, dabbling a bit. I, I just, I've always loved art, right from when I was a child, a real young child. When lockdown happened uh, and there were, we couldn't go out to gigs. I started painting again, and I was going to do a have an exhibition very shortly. But with all this work that's coming in with Chain and and stuff, I've had to postpone that one. I'm uh, having my first exhibition at Mario's which is a famous cafe in Fitzroy here and they've been having uh, art exhibitions there for about 38 years and um, it's a cafe and yeah. restaurant and uh, your art goes on the wall and people hopefully buy it <laughs> oh, and uh, so that's, uh, that starts on the 24th of July I think so that gives me uh, time because I've got I've got Uh, hundreds of of images to choose from, and they've got to be framed and all that sort of stuff before that. But I've got that coming up and then um, possibly another exhibition later in the year. But it's opened up a whole new thing for me because uh, at 75, I just don't want to be out on the road all the time. So uh, I'm picking and choosing what gigs I do now and being pretty fussy about it, I might add. And uh, the rest of the time, I paint, and I I just get lost in painting. I love it, and uh, so it's a nice thing to do as things change in life. How many hours go into one painting, typically? That varies a great deal. I mean, sometimes you get, sometimes you sit down, and uh, and an hour later, you'll go, that's that's it. I do not want to touch it another bit. But I find normally uh, with 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 my paintings that are are either gouache or acrylic, I I find, you know, it it, it could be a matter of two hours to four hours, you know. It it really
2: varies. Okay. And if people want to get a copy of Out of My Shed, how do they go about that, Phil?
3: Well, uh, at the moment, uh, I'm selling them obviously at my shows, uh, but the best thing to do, is to go to my website, which is just philmanning.com.au and there's a whole bunch of little guitar picks and it's got buy and you click on buy (laughs) and it takes you to the CD page, which has got all my CDs on it and uh, that's all set up for PayPal.
1: Beautiful. Excellent. Beautiful. Mate, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, great to see you fit and healthy and well, and painting and playing and gigging and uh, and B- busy. Uh, Phil, it's always lovely to catch up with you, mate. And uh, we'll we'll do it again uh, when you when you get in your shed and make another album. <laughs>
3: <laughs> lovely, lovely. And uh, and what what about you, Brian? Is the uncanny X Men anywhere on the horizon? Uh, I think we're doing Cairns
2: in October, but in the meantime, I'm. Um, Got a Queensland band and I've worked with uh, Dale from Boom Crash Opera and Scott from Kids in the Kitchen and Sean from The Models. So, yeah, it's, you know, as you say, COVID, it's still not what it was, but it's getting better. But, um, yeah, so I've got a fair bit on the on the plate, but um, I think I might have to get some paints and start painting.
3: <laughs> That's the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lovely to talk to you, boys, anyway. Good on you. Good Thanks, on you, Phil. Phil. Cheers. to get out and ball. Invite a bunch of friends to gather around. Go out to party, but it's shut downtown. This cupboards full of food and wine, paint the towels and toilet rolls. Forever alone until I go home. I listen at the window, hardly hear a sound. There's nobody about, and it's shut downtown. I thought I saw my neighbors thinking out the truth. Line. They used to be mowing lawns, but now they're hidden safe
1: One of the tracks off Out of My Shed, uh, which is available on Phil's uh, website. So just uh, jump on that, uh, just Google Phil Manning and then it'll take you straight to virtually to the website and you can buy all sorts of uh, albums and uh, things he's been involved with over the years. Uh, so uh, check that out. And, of course, uh, his painting exhibitions, well worth having a look at, I would have thought. And if
2: you, can't, if you can't find Phil's website, which you should be able to, but yeah. if not, just just give Murkots a call and uh, ask Mark <laughs> if he can send you a copy of it. So, yeah, he'll so. have a link. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get, get, get some, organise some driving lessons and get a copy of Out of yeah. My Shed by Phil Manning. It's fantastic. And,
1: and a painting for the lounge room. From You can do all those <laughs> things. This podcast is a one-stop shop for all sorts of weird and wonderful things.
2: Oh, it's just getting weirder and more wonderful
1: every well, week. It's going to get more wonderful now because we're going to talk to uh, the lady who uh, we all know as the, uh, the front person for the Super Jesus, good band. Uh, I remember playing Gravity on the radio uh, back in that uh, sort of late part of the 90s and thinking, gee, this is a good song. They're not a bad little band and they're still going, and they're still going strong, I'm going to play their new song at the end of this interview. We're very lucky, Brian and I, to have a catch-up with Sarah McLeod. Let's welcome Sarah McLeod.
4: What do you wrap bags up to? Well,
1: what are we up to, Cass? We're talking to you about uh, your tour and your single and your history and uh, and anything else that we decide we want to talk to you about.
2: oh yeah, I, <laughs> I want to find out about the Balinese band.
4: You're jealous? You want to be in a Balinese band too? <laughs> well,
2: that was, your, that was your first band, wasn't it? You joined some band in Bali?
4: I did, yeah. It was my first time ever on a stage. I... I mean, I wouldn't say I joined it, but, like, they, they dragged me up on stage. I played with the band because they had a, um, a bunch of like, – they had, like, a book in front of them with all the chords and the words. So I just, like, flicked through the book, like – I didn't really talk to them. I didn't even know if they spoke English. I just flicked through the book and pointed at the songs and we went, let's go, and I just played them and grabbed the guys' guitar, played with them, and then they kept looking at me, like, thumbs up, and just kept doing more and more and more. <laughs> and then um, I, I went there the next night and they were playing and they grabbed me and pulled me up, up with the stage – and I played with them every night for two weeks. And then I went home. <laughs> what sort of
2: songs do you play with a Balinese band?
4: Oh, uh, it was called, cool. they played like all like classic hits, like Guns and Roses, Eagles. I, I, I just really remember always playing Hotel California because we were yeah. staying at this like Kentucky 18 to 30 year old, 35 year old resort. And it was called the Hotel Puri Rama. And I remember them always going, welcome to the hotel, Puri Rama. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very Yeah, that was um, my initiation. Did they do backing vocals
2: for you? Because that, that could be interesting.
4: Yep, they did. They did. They were singing. I don't know what they were singing, but they were singing. They were good too. And it wasn't until later in life, because right? I didn't know anything about what was going on at this point. But I remember grabbing, the singer had a guitar and I said, I pointed and went, can I, can I have this? And he just sort of took it off and go to me. And he just left the stage. He just got kicked out of the band straight away. And um, and then looking back later in life, I saw photos of it. And the guitar that he had was one of those crazy Steve Vai things with the vine down the neck. You know, those oh, yeah. sort of like Steve Vai signature thing. I thought, like, oh wow, that's told me worth a fortune. Like I kind of knew what he was doing.
1: <laughs> so how old were you? How old were you at this stage, Sarah? Were you like 18, 19, 20? How old were you?
4: No, I would have been. 17.
1: Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I was st- straight out of school. I was going to say, were you, were you dabbling, writing songs and singing and doing stuff, or was this just completely out of the blue?
4: I knew, like, a handful of chords and some songs, and my mum used to go away a lot on weekends, and I would have parties at my house, and my friends would come over and I would sing to them. So I was sort of just doing that. And then I went to Bali with the same friends. Who we went, yeah, our friends are saying singer get her out there, and that's how I ended up on stage. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's where you got your love of performing, though, from playing with the Barley Band. Is that right?
4: Well, look, I tell you, I, I was just I was in the crowd doing my own thing, just being like everybody else, and then suddenly, within minutes, I was catapulted to superstardom, standing <laughs> on this stage with everybody screaming at me, people smiling at me, people sending me free San girls. I was like, holy shit, I've arrived. Like, whatever I was doing before... It means nothing. It's all about this moment and moving forward And <laughs> a light bulb moment.
1: <laughs> so what was, what was your career plans at that stage? Were you going to be uh, like a uni bot and then go on and do something, you know, in that area? What were you going to do?
4: Yeah, I was actually really interested in the stock market and I wanted to be a stockbroker. I used oh. to go down to the stock exchange when they used to have one and um, watch the trading. And I had all these, like, pictures of the bull there and the stag on my wall. At home. I saw a tie everywhere. I, I, just, I was a little... Um, I was a little accounting nerd. <laughs> wow,
2: stock yeah, market! No, you don't you don't hear many musos say, "Oh yeah, my other interest is the stock market." Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's quite unusual. Um, you know, they I, I, w- I, oh, w- I wish like, I still um, had interest. Fair, enough, uh, fair
4: I, enough. I know nothing about it now. I, it was just it was more of a obsession with um, Michael J. Fox and then watching The movie Wall Street. And like, I didn't really know what was going on. I just like the idea of it, you know. I like the action. I like all the little pink slips. I like I like the hectic nature of it, and I like the suits. Right. I was, I was,
2: when you were saying the stock market, I was thinking Michael J. Fox in that. Uh, was it Full House? Is that the show? No. Family. That's cool. What was it called? Family Ties. Yeah. Family Ties. Yeah. Fam- Cause family
4: yeah,
2: because like, yeah. yeah, parents were like hippies, but he was like you know Mr. Stockbroker sort of guy, you know. He yeah. Had, okay. He never went on to make a record, though. But uh, but you did, so. No, well
4: and I, I never went on to go to the stock market. So hey, you can't no. win them all. <laughs> How are you, Brian? No, anyway, what are you doing? Are you still making music with Tim Henwood? Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. I
2: um, I still playing with Tim a bit, and um got a car, and Dale from Boom Crash, and that's So yeah, I'm chugging cool. along, you know. Yeah, it's, it's you. You are nice a fabulous sort of, performer. Oh, thank you very much. Um, Sometimes yeah, I, I can't get, remember yeah,
4: what? Some, yeah, you are. When I saw you last, I don't know where we were. We played some sort of festival, I think on the Central Coast together or something a few years back, and I did my show, and then you came on and you just whipped the crowd into a frenzy and you were like a total rock star. And I was like, look at him go, Brian Mannix. He's still got it. <laughs> so cool.
2: Yeah, probably. I'd probably had a few beers, but anyway, that's, you know, you've got to be bigger than life, so there you go. Yeah.
4: Are um, oh, you put you, Billy you Idol this just- game.
2: Oh, Billy Idol! I like I love singing Billy Idol. It's a cross between Elvis and Angry Anderson, so it's fantastic. I can do both. <laughs> but um, <laughs> your new single's a beauty. I Thank love you. the lyric. I, th- I think the lyrics are a ripper, and you know, and it's a right. rocket. in that—did you write it? And where did you record it?
4: Um, yeah, I wrote it with our bass player Stuart Rudd, and he wrote yeah. the music. I wrote the vocals, um, and then we recorded it. With our, um, our drummer, Murray Sheridan, is a producer. So we did it at his studio in the Blue Mountains. Like, um, so we, had, we got a new drummer and we pretty much went straight into the studio to record with him, like, you only a couple of weeks after hiring him. So it was a lot of sort of blind faith going on, but it paid off.
2: Yeah, no, it sounds terrific, and um, you know, yeah, I've just had a listen to it just before, and I thought, wow, this is rocking. But I really love the lyric. I think the lyric's really, really cool. So, well done on that. Um, it's yeah, really it, funny. It's, it's funny. what's funny, but it's not funny. But it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's got something to say, which a lot of songs don't. And I, I just yeah. thought that it's a quirky, a quirky lyric that I really, really enjoyed. And you know, of course, the guitars are rocking, which is also always makes it great. But, um,
4: yeah, and, and yeah, so everybody that's in the everybody that's in the music industry would know that uh, you've got to only be in it for love because you're certainly not in it for the
0: money.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. You
4: know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the, you've done you've done shows, so you've been touring around with this with the, the latest lineup of the band. How's that been going, Sarah?
4: Yeah, amazing. We've done we did two shows at Lansdowne, three in Queensland. We just did Adelaide the other day. We've got only one left in Melbourne next next week at the corner, and then that's the tour done. So it was great because, you know, two new members, we were like, I wonder what this will be like. You know, we had never played with them before. We made a record with them, but we've never played live with them. And the first gig was great. Second gig was better. Third gig was even better again. Each gig is getting better and better, and the band now knows how to listen to each other, respond to its nuances, and it feels like we've been playing together for a decade. So we're very lucky.
1: So what's the plan yeah,
4: now? Um, we're going to release another single, go back out on tour in later on in the year, do like a big regional tour. And, uh, but first we have to finish the album. So we've only recorded seven tracks so far. And I, I'm in Adelaide at the moment doing a show at the Fringe, which is only an hour per night. So I've got my whole studio set up in my hotel room, and I'm sitting in here finishing the last of the songs. So then we can go straight back into the studio and record them as soon as I finish this Fringe show. Right. Yeah, I was in
2: Adelaide uh, on the weekend playing at the Spiegel Tent. um first I think oh, it was cool. part of the Fringe. but Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah it's, a, it's, it's a really cool festival, the um, Adelaide Fringe Festival, isn't it? And you're playing every night. That's fantastic.
4: Yeah, every night except Mondays for three weeks. Yeah, and a show called The 27th well, Club. Dead rock stars that started at four or died at age twenty seven.
1: Oh, which is like Amy Winehouse and Jimmy Morrison, all that that's the whole crew, isn't it?
4: Yeah, yeah. So we, yeah. With one hour of um, like lots of different bits of their songs, medleys, you know, we change some around, some of the same, there's four singers, really sick band called The Wanderers. I get to play a cool guitar solo, it's fun. It's just a, it's just a good time show. You know, it's nothing too challenging. It's I, just really fun. I reckon
2: medleys are good in that um I sort of started getting get into my son got me into it a little bit. But, um, you know, you can do 10 songs in five minutes. And yeah. people today, <laughs> they, pro, they process information pretty quickly. So a three-and-a-half-minute song can be a bit of a drag because, yeah, I've got that. But so with a medley, you're just playing the best bits of songs and it's like, wow, this is cool. Ass. I, I love a medley. I think it's great. Isn't that fun?
4: So, like, I'm talking about this a lot lately, like how, you know, in – in the 60s, 70s and 80s, like songs were really long. And then, you know, in, yeah. in the 90s, like when I started to learn how to write songs, it was always like you want to write the perfect three-and-a-half-minute pop song, which I still have in my head. Like if you clock money, you'll notice it's three three 3.31 or something. Like every song that I always write right, is always three-and-a-half minutes because that's what my brain thinks is the perfect pop song. But I've <coughs> noticed now yeah. the new generation, of TikTok and everything, songs are now like like two minutes. And I reckon in the future, they're going to be even shorter. And then you're right, it's just going to be medley's.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like um, I was listening to Kanye because my son's writing to Kanye, and I'm going, jeez, he's worse than Paul McCartney." He's got seven songs in one song here, and he goes, <laughs> and son said, pointed it out, pointed it out to me. Said, "Dad, we process information quick. We don't need three and a half minutes." And I thought, "Hmm, yeah." I thought that was yeah. a a strong point, and I thought, "Yeah, I'd better have a look at that." But um, yeah, it, yeah, it
4: definitely is a strong point that we need to get our heads around. You know. I <laughs> feel like us are yeah. not of that generation. Yeah, I'm still very much in the three three minutes thirty. Like I, to me, that's just everything I need. I get two verses, I get a bridge, I get at least two choruses. I might even squeeze an outro in there, depending on the tempo of the song. It's everything I would like yeah. to hear in one song. Three minutes thirty. I don't care for long, extended instrumental pieces. I don't want to go tripping somewhere. I don't. I don't want to like have you know wild guitar solos. They're just all the bits I like, and they fit into three and a half minutes. Without them, I get all like oh. Well, what's the point of crafting a great chorus if you're only going to hear it once? <laughs> you know. Although yeah. again, you only have to write one verse, which is a songwriter, everybody knows that you know that that's a luxury. Not only having to write one verse, great, we're done. Next song. <laughs> <laughs> Next.
2: <yeah. Move> <laughs> when you when you're playing with the new band, do you play um, Super Jesus songs as well?
4: Yeah, of course. We play all like all the singles from all the records that we've ever released, and then uh, at the moment we're only playing three new songs. I want to play more, but we don't want to be the asshole that our whole band only plays their new shit just because they love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Here's one off yeah. our new album. Oh, oh no. Yeah, yeah, yeah
4: totally. Yeah, yeah.
2: Especially with yeah. Paul McCartney does it. Paul McCartney says he just plays a hard day's night and he goes, here's one off the new album. It's called Biker Like an Icon. Ah, <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake, Paul. What are you doing?
4: <laughs> <laughs> totally, I know you've got to. Even though you, that we might think that the new shit is the best, and it still might be the best, But we've just got to remember that there's no memories attached to it for the people in the crowd. And half the time, yeah. that's why they want to hear the song because the memories are attached to it. We might have written a better song, might be way better than that other crap that we wrote years ago, but they don't know it, and there's no memories attached to it. So it might be you know a novelty to hear something new, but it's not going to have the same connection.
1: Those uh, you know, no, Sarah, no, Sarah a song like money though sounds like a super Jesus song and sounds like it you've heard it ten times when you hear it for the first time to be honest.
4: Oh, that's cool. Thanks, I like hearing that.
1: Well, that's what, yeah. I, that's what yeah. I thought when I listened. To I thought, oh yeah, that fit that fit that would fit on that would fit on any of the albums you've ever done.
4: Um, do you know uh, where I got the inspiration for the chorus melody of that? And it's not plagiarism because when you listen back to it, I can't actually hear the plagiarism anymore. But I was listening to twist is <laughs> just, just we're not going to take it. Really? And I said, we're not gonna take it. And I said, money, money. Yeah. And then you know, he goes, we're not gonna take it. No, we are gonna take it. And it goes up again. We're not gonna take it. So I thought, sounds like money, money. And then I would normally go down and go something about money. And I went, no, keep going, money, go money, go up, up, up. Just like twisted system. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that quite sounds familiar
2: <laughs> That's fantastic. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: a little secret. So you're, you're writing the, the rest of the album now in between doing the Fringe shows, you're putting all that together now, and then when will you go and, and knock it over?
4: I am absolutely doing it. Even while I'm speaking to you now, I'm moving my whole studio across to the other side of the room because it's got a better view of the sunset, and I'll be more inclined to work harder if I'm staring at the sunset. I'm just rolling up my leads and moving it all over. I'm really aesthetically driven. Like I have to be looking at something like aesthetically pleasing to my eyes to be able to write. Like, I, you should see me at home, I move my piano around to every place in the house. I'm like, yes, yeah, here. And I have to call the piano remover guy every time too. So he comes around, 100 <laughs> bucks, move it from room to room. And I go, put it here. And I'll sit there and I'll, I'll work for like three or four days. And go, go, nah, no, I don't like the view. Sorry, call the piano man, but you've got to move it. Put it here. And I'm like, yeah, this is better. Yeah, and know, it's always nice. It's a fresh, fresh new area. And then I'll sit there for a couple of weeks and go, nah, no, this is no good either. I'm constantly doing it. I'm just never satisfied oh, so That's why I'm now uh, Moving my studio Yeah um, But yeah So uh, finish the record In the next couple of weeks And then um, And then We go back to the Blue Mountains To lay it down And then we can start um, We can start planning The rest of the release Which you can't really plan The whole release Because we've only got Seven songs finished So we know what Is going to be the next single But after that We, we can't say What the next is going to be Because you never know It could be one of the ones That I'm about to do today
0: yeah.
4: Who knows? Oh, That's what's fun though, to be in a release cycle and still be writing. I've never done that before. Usually once you put the first single out, the record's already sitting there waiting.
0: Yeah.
1: And
4: this is kind of fun because you get inspired by what people are saying about what you put out, and then you can craft the rest of the record around uh, around that inspo. Yeah. It's is doing you know I
1: mean? it's doing stuff like the Fringe Festival and, you know, you've done a solo album and stuff. Does that does that that, that keep the balance for you between the Super Jesus and, and what other stuff that is rolling around your head?
4: Yeah, absolutely, because I have a short attention span, so I need to always be doing something different. If I was writing just rock songs my whole life, I would, I'd be so bored. I need to just keep doing different styles of music, you know, because I like to learn different instruments and, and I think, you know, what can I do with this thing, and, you know? Like, i I like different kinds of music to listen to and I think, oh, I'd love to write a record like that and i go off on tangents and so I need to have Different avenues; otherwise, the Super Jesus would be one very confused band.
1: The fact that you're doing songs from from other people in this in this fringe show, the the twenty seven thing, would you would you do a, an album of covers where you where you, you know showcased yourself as a singer rather than a, as a songwriter as well?
4: Uh, I don't know. I have wondered this before. I think uh, I have considered doing if I did like old soul blues covers. Yeah, like I wouldn't do pop songs, but I might do like blues, jazz, singer stuff, just for something completely different again.
1: Yeah.
4: i I've thought about that, but, you know, like Ella Fitzgerald, Colin and shit like that. Yeah, because your, your, your voice twist. is
1: really versatile. It's not just a rock voice. It's a voice that could do a whole lot of stuff.
4: Yeah, it is weird. I, I do notice that I go to sing things and I go, oh, that's another sound. Oh, that's another sound again. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. I just do it. Go, yeah, let's do this. And it just... <laughs> There it is,
1: bang. Brian has similar things going on, but we think it's driven by the the liquid content that he has before he goes on stage.
4: (laughs) That's all part of the show, isn't it,
2: Brian? Well, it is a part of the show. It's part of the image. It's part of the deal. And I know what you mean about you have to – look at something aesthetically pleasing when you're writing a song. I know that I like to watch a lot of porn when I'm watching a song. <laughs> and, uh, I knew and, you were
4: going to go filthy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've done well. I've done, I've done 10 minutes without being filthy. So um, you knew what was going to happen <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> and you, there you, it is. You, yeah. can, you can
1: only imagine what the original lyric of Everybody Wants to Work was. <laughs> 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 yeah, just swapping out the vowels
4: Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough <laughs> hey, hey Sarah, uh,
1: the, the director here, Money, Money just great if that's, a, if that's the precursor to what we're going to get from the from the next album We're really looking forward to it, so it, it's a great song Thanks guys, yes, yeah,
4: the the um, next single is called Lights Out and That's a beauty too, so I'm looking forward to that one coming out Okay,
1: beautiful Hey, thanks Any for care. having a chat to us any chance,
4: the Bal- Any
2: chance of getting the Balinese band to put down a track with you, because that those
0: days
4: <laughs> are over. You know, I don't even know who they are. I never even asked them their names. I've got no idea. But God knows where they are and what they do. I don't know. I'm, I'm well, probably never doing
1: it again. Just wander down um, the main street of Bali, singing. You know, uh, on a dark desert highway, cool wind in my hair, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and they'll find you. Yeah, looks like God. And the hotel the curry guitar. rama.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. With a steel guitar. Yeah. yeah, that's funny, isn't it? I wonder yeah. if one day they'll come to find me.
1: <laughs> I reckon they will. Well. That would
4: be weird. <laughs> we'll hey, keep, keep
1: up the great work, and thanks so much for having a chat to us. Really appreciate it.
4: Cheers thanks, guys. You. Nice to chat to you too. That was fun. Take it easy.
1: Keep on rocking.
4: Bye.
0: Complicated fantasies, just give me something real A bottle of wine and some good friends who know how I feel And lately things, been getting super out of hand And temperatures run hot, no sense in crying Built upon innocence, we got nothing to lose Sacrifice is how we learn the blues It's not that hard, we practice every single day We don't need that much Just give me sunshine, music, and all that human touch You gotta live for the ride of peace the Oh,
1: That's it, good song, and as Sarah mentioned, uh, she's currently writing uh, the rest of the album, so we'll see that uh, after they get to Byron Bay and record it, and hopefully later in the year we'll get the chance to uh, get the album maybe have a chat with her once again about uh, what's going on in her life. Well,
2: well, that would be good, Kev, because she was lovely to talk to and uh, very interesting young lady, and... uh she has my utmost respect.
1: Yeah, no, she's got, she's got a great voice. She really has got a great voice and writes really good songs. You can't ask yeah. much more than that. All right. That is uh, this edition. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, don't forget, Phil Manning's Out of My Shed is available on Phil's website uh, and you can uh, have a listen to Money and uh, all the Super Jesus stuff on all the regular music platforms that are about the place. Thank you, Brian. Once again, we must thank our very good friends at uh, Mercot's. Give them a call. Be a better driver. Th- You'll thank one us. One,
2: three. Oh, hang on. You ready? Yeah one three hundred triple five five seven six. 576 That number again, one three
1: hundred triple five five seven six. 576 Call now. burcotts.edu.au is the website. We have uh, some great guests coming up in the uh, programs. We've spoken to the man who wrote I Am Woman.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. The man that wrote I Am Woman. Yes. Or oh, co-wrote it, yeah. yeah.
1: With Helen Reddy. I so... had lunch
2: with him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, with With right. uh, Russell, Russell Morris and all them guys. And um, he looks a lot like Rolf Harris, but he's a lovely man. And he doesn't behave like Roll Paris, which is really great.
1: <laughs> he's good. His name is Ray Burton and uh, was in a couple of uh, really good bands uh, in the late part of the 70s, uh, early part of the 70s in Australia called Airs Rock and a few others. So we'll talk to him about all those things and about some of the songs he's written, including Iron Woman. Also, uh, Graham Goldman from uh, 10CC is going to join us. And we've got uh, plenty more coming up. So lots coming up in uh, future episodes of Life of Brian. Look forward to that. Take care, Brian. Be careful. Uh, be safe in the ocean. And don't we in the ocean.
2: Well, that's the main that's the main lesson of today's uh, episode. Please stop pissing in the ocean. You might wipe out Fiji.
1: Yeah. Swimming pools, fine. Oceans, don't do it. No.
2: No. It's... Don't even think about dropping a canoe
1: in there, okay? Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh till the All next right. time, take care. All right, thanks, Dev.
0: We're Jack. Stop it. I'm tired.